Welcome to Not Work Storytelling. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host and lead storyteller, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a myth worker, a story healer, a coach for writers and creative entrepreneurs, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. If you love what you hear and want to support the show, I'd be so grateful if you become a paid subscriber on Substack. In my newsletter, Myth is Medicine, you'll receive bonus content related to the stories on the show and deep dives into how mythology and folklore can help the individual and the collective in the present moment and beyond. There's a link in the show notes to follow Myth is Medicine on Substack, or you can simply visit mythismedicine.substack.com. Season 4, Episode 12, Take Back the Magic with Perdita Finn. Our guest, Perdita Finn, is the co-founder, with her husband, Clark Strand, of the Feral Fellowship, The Way of the Rose, and co-author of a book of the same name. They are currently at work on their next book together, Circles Not Lines, Spiritual Community Beyond Patriarchy. To find out more about her devotion to ecology, not theology, visit wayoftherose.org. Today, Perdita will read to us from her brand new book, Take Back the Magic, Conversations with the Unseen World. It is an intimate journey through her recovery of those lost ways. She speaks widely on how to collaborate with those on the other side, on the urgent necessity of a new romantic animism, and on the sobriety that emerges when we claim the long story of our souls. As you'll hear, she lives with her family in the moss-filled shadows of the Catskill Mountains here in New York's Hudson Valley. Well, I am so excited to have Perdita back on the podcast for the second time. As is our way at Not Work Storytelling, we first ask the story to speak for itself, and then we explore all the ways that it still resonates and matters. So Perdita, will you tell us a story from Take Back the Magic? Sure. Marisa and I both live in the Catskill Mountains, and they're a very magical realm, and people might know about their magic from the Rip Van Winkle stories, which were just capturing the tiniest bit of magic that remained from the Asopus and Lenape people who had lived here and who'd been horrifically murdered by the Dutch when they arrived. Uh, This had been a very sacred place for them, these mountains, a a place for ceremony and ritual. I didn't know any of that when I discovered these mountains. And I'm going to share how I came here the first time and then talk about what I call the paper folds of the land. Just like I'm sure we've all had dreams where we've been in a place in our dreams that's both one place and another place. And it's, it's sort of like it's folded over each other. We've had people like that in our lives. I know you. We've not met before, but I know you. And we arrive in a place and we go, I know this place. I've been here before. And I call them the paper folds, the dream places. And they're very, you know, some people call them portals and uh, vortexes, but I think they're all individual for each of us. This is the place that is the land of the dead for me. And so I'm going to share how I first came here and then talk about the land of the dead a little bit. Years before my father died, my husband Clark and I moved to a little house in the Catskill Mountains where I encountered 
my first ghosts. We didn't know then that the town of Woodstock lay at the very portal of the land of the dead. The first peoples who canoed up and down the Hudson River called the blue line of mountains that stretches across New York, the wall of the Manitou, a dividing line between the realm of ordinary life and the world of spirit. The ridges and hollers of the mountains were a liminal realm, a place for ceremony and ritual. These peoples didn't live in the dark hemlock and chestnut forests that shadowed waterfalls, cascading over moss-covered rocks. Instead, they came here with a purpose, to commune with their ancestors. Ancient stone walls following ley lines still lead up steep slopes to rock cairns that mirror the constellations in the night sky. The people who built them are long since gone, wiped out by genocide and disease. The trees that sheltered and fed them were obliterated in an age of conquest. The birds they knew, the beasts who spoke to them, the fish who fed them, and the wild plants that healed them, so many of them are gone forever as well. But the wisdom of these peoples and the messages of these beings are not gone if we are open to receiving them. Both Clark and I felt called to this haunted terrain long before we met each other. Once when I was in my 20s, I had been driving back from a trip in Maine to Washington DC where I taught English at a public high school. As I cruised along the interstate hour after hour, every embankment and rest stop looked the same. And I began daydreaming about a life other than the one I was living. I saw myself as a writer, making bread, planting a garden. I envisioned a hippie mother with barefoot children following her through the woods. With a jolt, I realized that I had no idea where I was. I was lost again. So often my name, Perdita, felt like a referendum on my experience. I never knew where I was or where I belonged. Huge mountains loomed in front of me. Moss-covered rocks bordered the highway. I was supposed to be heading south through New Jersey at this point, but I must have missed a turn somewhere after the Tappan Zee Bridge. Where am I? I asked the toll keeper when I took the next exit. Gateway to the Catskills, he said. Woodstock. Oh, I thought, how strange. I'm so grateful to hold space for this story of the place that Perdita and I both call home. This valley of ours vibrates with creative energy, and that was true when the ancients were leaving their mark in stone, and now, when so many writers draw inspiration from our singular rivers and mountains. Before we dive into a conversation about the living and the dead, the web of ancestors, and finding a true sense of belonging, I want to let you know how I will be supporting writers in the year to come. The Writer's Knot is an online group for creative beings seeking community, inspiration, and that not-so-glamorous-but-oh-so-necessary thing, accountability. We'll meet three Wednesdays each month beginning in January with additional opportunities for writer's salons and community connection. In the new year, I'm excited to bring us back to basics and hold space for you to really get the writing done. The Writer's Knot is where you can explore your own stories, meet your own struggles, and develop your own mythic voice. 
Learn more and register at marisagowdy.com. We begin in mid-January. If you register by December 23rd, you'll be invited to a special half-day retreat to reflect on the year that was and imagine the new story you'll live and tell in 2024. Now, back to my conversation with a writer I absolutely adore, Perdita Finn. She's going to give us some more context about her arrival here at the Gateway to the Catskills, and then we'll travel a whole lot further. And that happened a full seven years before I moved here. And when we moved to Woodstock, I discovered I'd been dreaming about, I knew every road in Woodstock. I'd been dreaming about it. And it was a very unsettling experience, but maybe some of our listeners have had this, of I knew where every tree was in Woodstock. And I was so disoriented by it and so unnerved. And my husband, who's been a Zen Buddhist monk, helped me do a whole series of grounding rituals in which we took a wonderful figure uh, called Jizo, who guides souls through eternity and grounded him in the center of Woodstock in a place we later discovered. We hid a Jizo stone and the place where we later learned the Lenape people did their ceremonies. Wow. What a story of divine geography and divine choreography to call you here. Because, of course, yes, you and I share this land, and we also happen to share a common origin, and that we are both children of the coast of Massachusetts and Cape Cod. Yes. And that then we found our way here. <laughs> I mean, the ocean coast of Cape mm-hmm. Cod is mm-hmm. definitely another one of those paper folds for me. Mm-hmm. place that gathers. And the what I would love to do and talk about is how it disrupts our notion of ancestry and lineage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. So who are we? Where are we? (laughs) Where do we come from? Mm. We're very conditioned to thinking of it in a very linear, modern, evolutionary way where we can kind of trace our heritage back to a particular place, right? Mm -hmm. But you trace your heritage back to a particular place and those people trace their heritage back to another particular, you know, and, and and that's only following one line. I mean, if you go back seven generations, you have 200 grandparents, over 200 grandparents. So mm-hmm. that's 200 different lines you could follow. Mm-hmm. Each seven more generations leading exponentially in the 10 directions. Mm-hmm. How do we make sense of what I call our mysterious root systems? And for me, they're recognizing that we belong to the dead of the land who have called to us. Mm. And you talked about Newgrange. And one of the things that's really fascinating about this area, my husband and I would buy a house here. We bought a little ramshackle Baba Yaga cottage. Everyone wished we wouldn't buy, but we had to buy it (laughs) because the land was so powerful. Mm. And we discovered 20 years after we moved in here, that we were right in the middle of stone creations that Glenn Kreisberg, who's an archaeologist, you probably know Glenn from the SUNY Newpaltz, he and Dave Holden have charted that the indigenous people built these incredible stone formations. They were assumed to be the stone walls of colonial farmers. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's been 
estimated that it would have taken the colonial farmers a thousand years to build this many stone walls. And in fact, Dave Holden did the work to note that they chart the constellation Draco in the sky and they lead to rock creations on the side of the mountain that are dragons. Wow. And when I first went to go see the dragons, Marissa, I thought, man, I'm going to see a dragon, you know, I'm going to, you know, they're dragons. Okay. And Dave and Glenn have gotten them preserved. It was very difficult to get the land bought to preserve. Uh, The government did not want to recognize in the Northeast these indigenous creations, and they did not want to protect them. But for me, when I first got to know them, I had just come back from being in the Dordogne in France and seeing the Paleolithic stonework of early peoples. And I realized I was looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I think what, when you go to Newgrange, we're in a similar type place, right? We're in a place where people are honoring the dead of the land, the power, our place in the cosmos simultaneously right? Yes. I want to offer our listeners some context around Newgrange because they may not know what we're talking about. And I want to take a little step back to offer the fact that when Perdita and I sit down, we tend to speak of the Hudson Valley. We speak of Cape Cod and we often speak of Ireland as well because we have our ancestral connections to that, that beautiful little green island. And Newgrange, of course, is a megalithic monument of more than 5,000 years old. And on the winter solstice, the light penetrates through to the inner chamber. And it was specifically built, of course, to track the year. And as I'm hearing you say, as you're thinking about Dardanne and all these places, especially I think we were kind of programmed as American children and well into adulthood, oh, you have to go to other parts of the world to find such ancient traces. The people who lived here in the Northeast, they left no stories beyond maybe the Wampanoag people and the pilgrims. And otherwise we have nothing. So go about your lives and the tragedy of that. It's a terrible tragedy, but here's what you feel. And when you go to these places here, they're just as powerful. Mm -hmm. They're just 5,000 years ago for Newgrange, the estimate for the, the cairns on the side of Overlook Mountain is five to 6,000 years old. They were being built at the exact time time with people as sophisticated mm-hmm. and beautiful and astronomical intimacy. And what were they doing? What were they saying? Because it's really, they're calling forth from the stones their deepest ancestral memories. And I mm-hmm. think that who are our ancestors? Mm-hmm. Everyone. If we can step back 5,000 years with those peoples, here we are heading into the solstice. They knew that life was cyclical, not linear. Mm-hmm. And they knew that beings left and came back, left and came back. Mm-hmm. And to live in those cycles as a soul seems to me what we need to remember how to do. That we have all been here before. Mm, yes. And we're all recycling and cycling through different places. We're returning to places we've been before. Mm-hmm. And we're there to recover. We've come to recover the memories of our dead 
in the land. Everyone is listening. Wherever you are, you belong there. The dead have called you home. Mm. Marisa, we were called home by the dead here. And we were called home by our ancestors here on this land. Mm -hmm. We were called forth to bring and weave. So the cairns here are paper fold with the, the Celtic cairns. And they're, they're paper folds with other places that come and go. And we can, you know, there's a ridge on Overlook Mountain that when I walk on it, I've walked in it in so many different dreams and so many different lifetimes on that ridge that now when I walk on it, I call in all the memories of all the other places, all the other lands I've walked, all the other ridges, all the ancestors. So wherever we walk on the land, we're summoning the memories of our ancestors beneath our feet. Mm. This is such soul medicine, and it's radical soul medicine at a time when we're also awakening to the legacy of colonialism. And as you mentioned yourself, the sense of the, the peoples who were here were, it was a genocide by the original settlers from, from the Netherlands and elsewhere. And how to hold this paradox is so profound. Well, I think the story of civilization, that linear story of progress and evolution and achievement and human supremacy mm -hmm. is nothing but a story of genocide. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to know that because as long as we try to reform civilization and get it right, or pick a side in civilization, mm. a team, there will only be more genocide. Yes. So how do we pray to these ancestors? These 5,000, 6,000 years ago, these people were on a cusp at New Grange on here on the side of the mountain. All around the world, people were on a cusp. And they were on the cusp of making a terrible mistake. <laughs> And that mistake was civilization. That mistake was stepping out of that cyclical story of birth, mm -hmm. death, rebirth, birth, death, rebirth, and stepping into, oh, we're the most important species. We're going to dominate the planet. Mm -hmm. And there are many theories about why that happened and how it happened. But one of the most compelling that I've ever seen is that we got drunk. And <laughs> you know, is that it wasn't bread that mm -hmm. seduced us into empire. It was alcohol uh -huh. and sugar and consumption. Mm -hmm. The reason I say this is the story of civilization is nothing but the story. Every religion, every nation state is a story of colonialism. Mm. And so civilization wants to always create good guys and bad guys. Right and try to get civil, so we can try to get, the good guys are gonna win and we'll get civilization right. Mm -hmm. Hitler thought he was the good guy and he had a good plan for getting mm -hmm. civilization right. And the good guys always think they're good <laughs> and there never are. And right now I feel like we're on the eve of horrific fascism around the world mm -hmm. because people are, have forgotten that cyclical wisdom of the ancestors beneath our feet. And what I would ask us to do is to go out and stand on the land 
and the solstice and the darkness in the mystery of our ancestral heritage and mm-hmm. say, help, help guide us back to your wisdom. Help guide us back to the cyclical wisdom of the land mm-hmm. when we knew where we belonged and we knew how to belong mm-hmm. and we knew how to accept the wisdom of the stars and the wisdom of stones and the wisdom of magic. So mm. I prayer a lot these days. Yes, to bring it to that, it's it's at the cosmic level, it's at the universal, it's it's the entire vault of the heavens. And and knowing you and your work, and that at the same time you also deal with such the intimate spaces of the heart and the sense of the individual and how much they matter and how much I've gotten a hug from you and I know how warm it is. And I have had you guide me through moments of of real deep worry and know that you care about the people I care about simply because I said, I think someone needs a prayer. And so I'm just so, I guess I just feel so held by you in that sense of as you're holding the great expanse of the all and also the individual seed and the Here's the thing. I mean, you've got your hand over your heart as you speak to me. Mm. It all comes back to knowing our own hearts. And when we feel like we belong and we feel held by the land and by the dead and those incredible circles of ancestors, like I sometimes think of myself circled by those old, old, wise grannies going back and back and back everywhere I look, (laughs) right? And feeling... We can let our hearts out. We can let our hearts out to play a little bit. Mm. And right now, I see people very frightened of the world. There are many things that are very frightening in the world. Mm-hmm. Vast changes are happening. Mm-hmm. And when people are frightened, they often become very violent. Mm-hmm. And we see everywhere we look, everywhere we look on the planet. We say violent that breaks our hearts, right? And sometimes people wonder how I can look at it all. I mm-hmm. do look at it. Yeah. And I'm never surprised. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. I, this is what I expect from civilization. Mm-hmm. I'm horrified, repulsed, but not surprised. Because I pray with all my heart to be shown each and every day how what I can what I can do to help us guide us through an enormous transition back to belonging to the land again. Mm -hmm. We don't belong to the land as people. We think the land belongs to us. It doesn't belong to anyone. It belongs to no ideology, no state, no nation, no religion, nobody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we belong to it. And if we belonged to it, it wouldn't look like a concrete wasteland. If we belonged to it, it would feed us and we would know where the springs are and we would know how to accept the bounties of it. Mm-hmm. We don't. So, but in terms of heart, a friend of mine said last night, we were talking, she said, if we can nur- nourish the little seeds in our hearts, we can do great things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And on the solstice, I always plant an intention for the coming year, which I think of as, you know, like, think of it like a tiny thistle seed. Mm. Jesus would have called it a mustard seed that we 
that's so small. And I ask for, you know, what do you want? Where do you want to belong? How do you want to belong? How do you want to grow and blossom in the coming year? Mm. Because then we won't be frightened. I get my confidence from the dead. And they keep me from fear. The image that's coming to me as you as you call us into the heart is that for me, I know when I am speaking to my beloved dead and those I know, but also the entire chain of not just the chain, the entire web that came before, it always is knowing that they enter in through the back of my heart. And that's that support of them kind of standing behind me. And that gives that ability for the little bit of thistle seed to grow because it's held by so many hands behind. We feel so lonely. You know, people Mm. feel so lonely and so scared. And the medicine, you know, the great, great medicine, you know, I said we got drunk, right? And what is the great medicine of AA and 12-step groups it, to guide us through our addiction to civilization? Mm. Pure loneliness, community, mm. relationship. And the first community I often invite people to cultivate is the community of ancestors. It's why people want to research their heritage, mm-hmm. because they want to belong somewhere, because people don't feel like they belong, as particularly Americans, don't feel like they belong anywhere. Where do I belong? You belong right where you are. Go outside right now and stand on the ground and see what dead show up from the earth beneath your feet. Because mm-hmm. there are trees that have birthed you that remember you. Sea creatures who've become stones who've been your mother and past lives. There are mothers who remember you and who have called you home. Mm-hmm. There are mothers lifetimes. We wouldn't fight wars if we knew that everyone on the other side had once been our child. We wouldn't kill children if we knew every child had once been our child, had once been our mother. Mm. Would be no sides. I love the way you just remind us of how to obviously connect to all that is by stepping outside and asking the dead. And it's that sense too of trusting our own senses and our ability to receive, because I know, you know one of the reasons I started this podcast is as an American who says, my stories are sourced from 3,000 miles away, from centuries and millennia ago. What is it like for me to live on lands that feel unstoried or that we've been told are unstoried because the people are gone? And that sense of being able to trust ourselves to say, and, and, and then that kind of radical idea you have of saying, we were called here to the land upon which we live. What if we could find a home here, even with a full awareness of the history that came before us? Especially. Yes. And that it is, and you're offering us that opportunity to just unfold and unfold and be fully present rather than look down that, well, you mentioned linearity before, that sense of we try to look at lineage as being begat, 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 and one father and one father. (laughs) And instead, it's again, this invitation to just unfold our sense of knowing and belonging. It's a mysterious matrix of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And it's like that mycelial network. But I do want to talk Mm -hmm. about, we don't want to, it doesn't mean we should become appropriational of the indigenous peoples here and somehow 
start talking about our Native American ancestor. Who, you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot that goes on that's very mm. insensitive to the mm. lived experience of people still alive today and the violence they've experienced. Yes, thank you. What I think we need to step into is not the clarity, but the great mysteries. Mm-hmm. And that our ancestor, who are my ancestors on this land? They may be the sea creatures I find embedded in the rocks in my backyard, because this used to be an ocean. The Catskills used to be an ocean. I may not have been here since I was a brachiopod. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's my brachiopod ancestors who've called me here. I recognize you from the brachiopod bar. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mystery. Or I also like, for instance, the forests of the Catskills were once these incredible trees called chestnut trees. Mm-hmm. And the American chestnut, they were called the redwoods of the East Coast. They were as big as redwood trees. One tree could feed an entire community. And it was the primary food source for these peoples. Mm-hmm. And fascinatingly, it connected people to the chestnut trees of Europe, which were also a primary food mm-hmm. source, right? So they were felled. And what happened to the chestnut trees, the genocide, can I talk about, it's not just people who are murdered by civilization, it's entire species. So the chestnut trees were completely ravaged by the Europeans. Mm. These forests were decimated. Mm. And then all of the animals were decimated. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there is a book about the Holocaust, the species-wide Holocaust that occurred in the Northeast mm-hmm. with the arrival of the Europeans. How many species went extinct before the pilgrims arrived on the East Coast? And they would come in and just, I, I mean, species of birds, species of fish, species mm-hmm. of flower, and these trees, these magnificent trees, then the passenger pigeons go extinct, right? Mm-hmm. And then what the passenger pigeons fed the chestnut forests. Mm-hmm. So these poor chestnut trees who've had their elders cut down, then they are starving to death because oh. they are fed nitrogen from the passenger pigeons who are now gone. And so they have no food to protect them. They're nitrogen deficient. Mm-hmm. And then a European chestnut with a blight is brought in. And within 10 years, every single American chestnut is dead. So mm. I think sometimes that I have this really intense relationship to American chestnut trees, like really profound. Like my heart breaks for them. Like no one knows what happened to the chestnut trees. I think my ancestors were chestnut trees. How many lives did I live a chestnut mm. tree on Overlook Mountain? Mm. And oh. I look out and I remember my people that are gone. Now, my daughter lived at a spot in Kingston, New York. And I can't say where because we found an American chestnut. Mm. There are few mysterious American chestnuts that have survived. And there are angel saints, human beings, who've been figuring out how to bring them back. Mm. Mm. When I moved to this area, I lived in the same neighborhood. That tree, that (laughs) mighty 
to find you. So what are the stories we've lost? We talk about the stories we've lost. What stories do we lose when we lose a whole species of tree or duck or fish or flower? And people too, of course, but we're not just yeah. people. And this is what to get, you know, we talk about one of the hard parts, of course, if we're interested in like the mythic imagination or the Celtic imagination is it wasn't written down. Right. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't written down because these stories were alive. They were stories about fish that spoke to us and salmon who were our elders and our grandparents and stones who'd been our grandmothers, right? This is an, to live in an animate world is to know when we step outside that our ancestors have been all around us and we mm-hmm. have been like Merlin, salmon people and reindeer people and oak tree people and hemlock people. So ask yourself, when you think of your ancestors, your ancestors are not just people. They're not just mm-hmm. a lineage. They are all the beings of the land right where you are who have called you home to bring forth those seeds of belonging in your heart. Oh, Perdita, this has been the most perfect way to conclude this year of the podcast, but to land us here at this solstice moment, as you're speaking so eloquently about the cycles of life and death and rebirth and naming the grief of that which is gone and also you who stands in such joy and devotion to beauty in this world, but also to the truth and the suffering as well. Thank you. Joy and suffering have two sides. There's two sides. And, you know, I pray the rosary, not as a Catholic or not as a Christian, but I pray the rosary. (laughs) And the great mysteries, if you can hold the mysteries of sorrow, you can enter the mysteries of joy. And when you can feel the mysteries of joy, you can bear witness to the sorrows. And we need people who can bear witness to the sorrows in the world, don't we? We do. We do. Oh, Perdita, thank you so much for being here with us today. We've given people the smallest glimpse of this galaxy of a book you've written in Take Back the Magic, which I highly recommend to folks. If you're listening to this in your car on the way for that last minute holiday shopping, make sure you stop by the bookstore. Is there anything else you'd like to close us with as we say farewell, my friend? I just my gratitude for being in conversation with you and mm-hmm. how blessed I feel. The seed in my heart that I pray for, the seed I'm trying to get to grow, I call it my soul seed, mm-hmm. Marisa. It's the seed I think I've carried for lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And it is to draw my kin close, draw my blood kin my soul kin, my odd kin, my fur kin, my cat kin, close. But you are definitely soul kin. And I feel drawn close to you by this land in a way that feels like a real blessing. So thank you. Thank you, Perdita. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. Creating this show is a labor of love, and your support will help me continue to craft and share stories through season three and beyond. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber over on Substack, where I'm writing and creating additional audio magic with my newsletter and content hub. 
Myth is Medicine. You can find out more about my writing, my book, our online creative community, The Heroine's Knot, as well as how to work with me as a coach at marisagowdy.com. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out more about their music and shows at billyandbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people.